If you have a Bible, uh, would like to turn with me in your Bible, we're just getting started in a study of the small book of Jude, the next to the last book of the Bible, and we looked at uh, verses 1 through 4 last week, and today we'll examine verses 5 through 7. I'm going to begin reading, going back to verse 3. And I'll read through verse 7. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Verse 3 of Jude. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Uh, This is the word of God. It is living, it is active, it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you speak and that you would give us listening ears today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. From time to time, you will hear your elders, your pastor, here in this church, pray for an awakening in this nation. Uh, What are we praying for in that prayer? Well, the fact is, today in our world, in our nation, and in the church, people are asleep. And they are asleep to certain realities that the Bible clearly warns us about. In particular, people are unaware of they are asleep to the reality of the coming judgment and vengeance of God. The Bible says that when the Lord Jesus is revealed at His second coming, He's going to come with His mighty angels in flaming fire. This is in 2 Thessalonians 1. And when He does, He will take vengeance on those who do not know God. And those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So in scripture, we are warned that this day is coming and that no one will escape it. Uh, The Bible says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In In the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our statement of faith, uh, in, in the words of the confession, it says that the Lord would have us certainly be persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment. And then it gives two reasons for that. Uh, we need to be certainly persuaded there is a day of judgment 
Number one, to deter all men from sin. And secondly, for the consolation of the godly in their adversity. Again, you can see that uh, comes straight out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. But uh, God's going to send Christ, his son, back uh, to this world a second time. The first time he came uh, in lowliness and in humility. He was born as an infant, laid in a manger. Uh, he suffered all the, the difficulties and pains of, of this life. Uh, he lived in a, in a world of sin, uh, in, a, in a world that rejected him. Um, and he went to the cross. He humbled himself to death, dying on the cross for our sins. But the second time, and of course he's been raised from the dead, and he's ascended to the right hand of God, but the second time he returns, it will be with great power, glory, and he will come as Lord, and he will come with the vengeance of God to punish the wicked uh, and, and, and to, to take his people uh, into glory to be with him forever. So this truth of the final judgment, it, it ought to sober us, uh, even those who know the Lord or walking with the Lord or trying to, uh, this ought to sober us, make us examine ourselves every day uh, in light of the judgment uh, how are we living our lives? Do we know Christ? Are we sure we're in the faith? And this truth certainly ought to cause all who don't know the Lord, all who are not who have not yet repented of their sins, it ought to make you uh, tremble, to make them tremble. And certainly the false teachers, which I read about in this verses three and four of Jude. Those false teachers who have led millions astray and kept them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will meet their maker. They will have to answer uh, for their sins. In verses 5 through 7 now, as we <clears throat> read, we find three examples from history. The history uh, of God's people uh, and of the Old Testament. And these examples are given as reminders. He says, though you know these things, you once knew these things, it looks like they had maybe forgotten them. Uh, he wants to remind them of these things that happened in the past. Because God's judgment not only comes at the end of time, God's judgments uh, come in this world, uh, in the ancient world. They also come today if we uh, have eyes to see them. But as God's judgment came in the past, it will again in the future there is a day of judgment and these these earlier judgments are um, previews and they are guarantees that there's a day coming when Christ will judge the world and it's easy for us as Christians uh, to take God's grace for granted and to lose the fear of the Lord well we're saved we don't have to worry about sin so much we can kind of take things easy but that certainly is not what the Bible would have us to do and, to, and, and the way to think about our walk with him. We need to take seriously these three examples of God's vengeance. And the first example in verse 5 is about Israel's unbelief. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that Israel was not always what it was supposed to be. And this is true from the very beginning of this nation. We know that the Israelites were enslaved 
in Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God, and God answered their prayers. He gave them Moses to, to lead them, uh, and he delivered them from slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand. Uh, and we know they experienced and, and witnessed the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt. And, and they were delivered and brought out. And then how God parted the Red Sea, uh, a, a mighty miracle, so that they could cross on dry land. And then they watched the sea come uh, over and drown the Egyptians. And at that time, there were over a million people then who entered the wilderness where there's no food uh, and hardly any water. And yet God provided manna every day, miraculously. He provided water from the rocks. Uh, Manna from heaven. God protected them with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And he promised them, he said, I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And then the people arrived at Kadesh and God commanded Moses. He said, send 12 spies into the land to, to go and, and, and spy things out and look and see what is coming and be prepared. And so one of the spies uh, was Caleb, and when when the twelve spies came back, Numbers 13 uh, says that Caleb spoke to all the people and said this. He said, "Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it." So Caleb had faith, and so did Joshua, and believed that uh, God had given them this would give them this land as He had promised. But the ten men. Uh, other than Caleb and Joshua. The other ten said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And then all the people heard that, and they wept all night long, and they complained to Moses and Aaron, and they said, Why has the Lord brought us uh, to this land to fall by the sword, and our wives and children should become victims? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And Doug alluded to that in his prayer today. We're often tempted to go back to the world. But the people decided at that time, not only that they might be better off in Egypt, they decided they'd be better off without Moses and Aaron. And they, they were about to stone Joshua and Caleb. And suddenly the glory of the Lord appeared and God spoke and appeared in the tabernacle and said, how long will these people reject me? And, and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? You see, what God is convicting them of and accusing them of is unbelief. The sin of unbelief. They did not believe in me. Unbelief has been called the fountain of all, evil, all evils. Every sin really proceeds from unbelief. At some point, we, we are disobeying because we don't believe. People didn't believe the Word of God, His promises or His threatenings. Uh, and, and Jude writes that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And so that generation uh, that didn't believe, uh, they never made it to the promised land. They all perished in the wilderness. So what are we to learn from this? Well, first of all, we, we think of the many blessings, how the Israelites had been greatly blessed by God, They had been chosen by God to be his own people. And, and God said, they've seen my glory, they've seen my signs, but they've put me to the test and haven't heeded my voice. And so we too 
uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus, those who believe in him, we have been chosen by God. We have great privilege, even greater privileges than the Israelites did. We have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the completed scriptures that have been written down for us. And so the lesson for us is we must not take the grace of God for granted. We must not rest on our privileges uh, because if we have the blessings of God in salvation, in Christ, but we don't walk worthy of our calling, and if we don't continue to walk in faith, God will not be pleased with us. And, and the Bible says to believers who have these greater privileges, do not be haughty, but fear. To whom much is given, much is required. And so you and I have experienced God's goodness in sending his only begotten son into this world. He died and was raised from the grave, and we have forgiveness of sin. We have the promise of heaven, the true promised land. And if we take his grace for granted, if we use it as an excuse for living however we please, then we need to heed the warnings that God is giving here. And there are many other places. Hebrews chapter 10, for example, says if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So you see, in the church, false teachers and those who follow them claim to know God, but by their works they deny him. They claim to know Jesus, but they do not live under his lordship. And they live, they preach grace, but they live immoral lives. These, whoever they are, will be judged. And, and, and so you and I need to make sure that we're not part of them, that we're not following uh, their example or their teaching. In addition, as we think about the unbelieving fear, you see, fear is also an expression of unbelief. We're called to trust God. The Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27 said. Oh, whom shall I be afraid? If I'm afraid, I'm not trusting that God who is over us is my our light and salvation. So uh, it, it, they were unbelieving in their in their fear of entering the land. Oh, we can't go in. We can't take the land. God has promised you that you would take it if you would just trust him. And so what what about us? God has given us a great commission, hasn't he? We're not called to take over nations by physical force, but we're commanded to take the gospel to all the nations in his name. And yet, do we cower in fear? Afraid to share the gospel with our neighbors or share? Afraid to, uh, to tell others how the Lord has saved us and so on? This, too, is the sin of unbelief. And so I pray that God would enable us to be believing like Caleb and Joshua. And, and you see, faith is expressed in obedience, particularly obedience to the Great Commission. And as we go forth the good news of salvation in the Lord, may God increase our faith. Lord, increase my faith. Help us to believe his word and to live by that word and to proclaim it. But secondly, we have another example from this passage of, of, his, of God's vengeance. Verse 6 talks about the rebellious angels. Uh, you'll find uh, similar things talked about in 2 Peter. I won't go into that today, but, uh, but Jude puts it this way. He says the angels 
that did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So Jude is saying, remember the fallen angels and their, uh, their fate. Remember God's judgment of what once were holy angels who dwelt in the very presence of God. Remember what happened when they uh, were disobedient. You know, we're taught by the Lord to pray. We pray this morning, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about the angels in heaven, the, the holy angels. They do his will perfectly. Psalm 103 says, uh, the angels excel in strength. They do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of the Lord. They serve him there day and night. And so they were pure as created. Uh, they were exalted above evil. And yet Jude tells us that some of them sinned against their creator. They were led by Satan, who was, who, it was an angel himself. And, and some of the angels, not all of them, rebelled against God. They didn't keep their proper domain uh, or habitation. They left their own abode, said Jude. Well, no, no doubt that God had assigned to each one a particular post of duty. And, and this is a great privilege to be a servant, an angel of God, ministering to us, but, but serving Him. And they were come in and out of God's presence. Some served primarily in heaven. Some came to earth to serve us as ministering spirits. And, and they were clothed in splendor and light. And they were without sin. They were greatly blessed and highly privileged. And yet they fell. Some of them rebelled against God's righteous rule over them. And I wonder why. Uh, they were not content to serve any longer. I think they wanted to be served. Did they think they deserved better? Did they think it was beneath them to serve the living God? Do we think that ever? At the root of their rebellion was sinful pride. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is going through the qualifications for elders. And he said we should not put a novice into the position of elder because being puffed up with pride, he might fall into the same condemnation as the devil. The devil's sin was pride. He wanted to be like the Most High. Matthew Henry comments that these angels who fell, quote, thought that their sovereign should be their minister and do all and only what they would have him do. This, thus was pride the main and immediate cause or occasion of their fall. I wonder if in our prayers sometimes are we just simply wanting to wanting God to do whatever it is we want him to do. We want we want God to be at our beck and call. And God encourages us to pray and bring our needs to him, but sometimes we're trying to tell him what to do. Well, for their sin, the angel Jude says the angels uh, that God has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the last day. And, and here's how Peter put it in, in his second epistle, that God cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And the message is that God doesn't tolerate rebellion. You say, well, I've rebelled and he didn't cast me to hell yet. Well, he doesn't have to yet, but he may one day if you don't repent and turn to Christ. 
You see, he gives us a few examples so that we learn from them. They don't have to be repeated every day. We can be thankful for that, that God is merciful for us. He gives us, uh, he's very long-suffering and patient, but his patience will run out eventually. He punished the angels without even giving them a second chance, without providing a way of salvation. You say, oh, that seems unfair, but they deserved it. You see, they deserved God's judgment. Every bit of it. And it's a strong warning for us. God is not soft towards sin. Even though he's long-suffering, he's not soft about sin. He is merciful, but he will show no mercy to those who deny the offer of mercy in Jesus Christ. Like the angels, we've rebelled against our maker and none of us deserves a second chance. And none of us deserves to be forgiven. The only thing we deserve is the same fate that they have experienced to be cast down to hell for all eternity. Scripture says in Matthew twenty-five forty-one that on the day of judgment, Jesus will say, and he is the judge, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So God didn't spare the angels who sinned. He will not spare us either unless we repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's the good news, that though we don't deserve a second chance, and though the angels didn't get a second chance, God has given one to us. And that second chance is come. Jesus says, come to me. Lay your life in my hands. Uh, Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. I will forgive your sins. I will save your soul. We don't deserve to be forgiven, but he offers this full and complete pardon and salvation if we will just turn from our sins and put our trust in Christ. We have to humble ourselves to do that. We have to recognize that what we deserve and then confess it and then receive Christ, trust in him. Last example in our passage we see is God's vengeance on the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were two of the main cities out of what were known as five cities of the plain. And uh, they were in the south of Judah. And it was, Sodom was probably located in the, in the plain south of the Dead Sea. It's now covered by water. And uh, the wickedness of these cities is proverbial. As soon as you mention Sodom and Gomorrah, you think of their sin and of their destruction. Uh, But two sins were mentioned by Jude that these cities were guilty of, sexual immorality and going after strange flesh. Sexual immorality is often translated uh, fornication, and, and it has to do with any unlawful sexual activity, particularly sin outside of marriage or sin before marriage, sexual sin. And uh, in in Sodom and Gomorrah, like our own culture today, they thought nothing of having sex with whoever and whenever they wanted. Uh, Whether it was in or outside of marriage, it didn't matter. But Hebrews 13 says marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Well, he did judge them in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the other thing he mentions that these people engaged in, that they were guilty of, they would go on after strange flesh. And that's simply a euphemism for homosexual sin, which is an abomination in the sight of God. And the sin of sodomy, of course, gets its name from the city of Sodom. 
Romans chapter 1 speaks, first of all, of women who exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. Homosexuality is a sin against God, it's a sin against nature, uh, and no Christian uh, can live a homosexual lifestyle and, 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 and claim to be Christian at all. They need to repent and believe on the Lord and turn from their sin. In Genesis 19, you see, we find the record that these cities were destroyed by fire and brimstone uh, from heaven because of their sexual immorality and perversion. You've heard this before. Uh, Years ago, Billy Graham used to say, if God doesn't judge the U.S. of A., he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, I... I don't really know what it was like in Sodom. We do have some examples in Scripture, and they were pretty vile. But I think that our nation is very vile today. And, 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 and so those who commit these, these sins, these perversions, uh, uh, perverting, you see, the design of God for men and women. Uh, and, and, you know, these kinds of sins today are, are boasted in. They call them pride parades and so on because they're proud of their evil. Uh, these things ought to make us blush. Uh, we shouldn't even be talking about the things that they do, but our culture, you see, is deserving of judgment. And He made God made Sodom and Gomorrah an example for us uh, for all time to warn us about sexual immorality. And if God turned these two cities to ashes, if he did that and did not spare them, well, he spared Lot and his family. But he's not going to spare those today who who practice homosexuality, who affirm it, and who uh, say that it's okay, that it's wonderful, and we ought to celebrate it. God is going to judge them. He has not changed. They have changed. People have changed. But God has not changed. But we think about Lot. He was Abraham's nephew. He chose to live near Sodom because it was a fertile area. But he shouldn't have because it was a very wicked area. And so the only way for him to avoid judgment was to flee the city. And and God sent some angels along. And these angels said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And so we can thank God. And our lot certainly would have been thankful for these angels, these messengers of God sent to warn them of judgment. You know, it's a loving thing to be warned of judgment. It was a loving thing for those angels, for God to send those angels to tell them, you need to leave you're not safe here. You're gonna, it's going to be destroyed, and you need to go to the mountains. Now, there's no difference in that and me or you telling someone else, the Lord is coming back, and he's going to uh, send all those who don't know him uh, into the everlasting lake of fire. It's coming. You need to flee, not to the mountains, but to Jesus Christ. You need to flee to him as your Lord and Savior. That's a loving thing to do. And so uh, today, if you're here today and you need to flee, 
your sins and turn to Christ. Let today be the day of salvation. Well, you see, God calls us to warn others, not only to take that warning and heed it ourselves, but to warn others. That's, again, we're going back to the Great Commission. Uh, are, do we have enough faith to believe that this judgment is coming and that we would warn others of it? But this punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah was set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, so, so destruction by fire and brimstone is a vivid image, a vivid picture of what hell is going to be like and the torments of hell. And, and no doubt the inhabitants of those cities are today experience, experiencing uh, this eternal fire already, this judgment of God. And so this example of vengeance, like the others, is meant to remind us that God doesn't tolerate wickedness. And if we follow their example and fall in line with those who promote that, uh, then, then we too will be judged. And today it's a challenging time. Uh, if you work for a large company, uh, you're going to be asked to affirm uh, in some way the perversions that the Bible condemns uh, in our passage today. And you have to take a stand somehow, some way. May God give us wisdom and courage to do what we need to do. But today we've forgotten, you see, about these ancient acts of God's vengeance and judgment. We've forgotten there's a coming day of judgment. And vengeance. We've forgotten there's a place, as the Bible calls, a place of everlasting burnings and unquenchable fire. Deuteronomy 32:41 says, "I wet." God says, "I wet my glittering sword, and my hand takes hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me." And so, there's one way of salvation. Jesus Christ said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me." If you come to Jesus, you can be saved from judgment. Jesus said, those who believe in me have already passed from judgment into life. So you've already, if you're in Christ, you've already escaped judgment. You'll stand before him, but it will be to be vindicated on that day for all those who are in Christ. But those who do not repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will experience God's just judgment. And vengeance, and not only for the moment, but for all eternity. So we need to meditate on these things. You see, we need to wake up. May the Lord awaken us. How, how do we expect the culture to be awake to these realities if we're not? If these things don't sober us and teach us the fear of the Lord? And 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, then we will persuade Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is true and that your word does not avoid the tough and difficult subjects because you are a loving God and you want us to be warned. Thank you for loving us enough to warn us, Lord. If it were not for the fear of hell, none of us would have come to Christ. And if it were not for the love of God shown in Christ, we wouldn't have come. But, but at some point, Lord, each, each of us had that fear of judgment because we knew you were just and that you had promised 
uh, and threatened these things. And so we turned to Christ. May others turn to Christ today who need him. We pray for the lost in our families, in our uh, friendships, in our associations. We pray for this country to be awakened. But Lord, awaken us first uh, so that we begin to see things as we ought to see them from your perspective, O Lord, from, from an eternal perspective and a biblical perspective. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.